accent. Maybe that sounds weird, but it was really cool. It was a, it's a DeWalt 12-inch sliding compound miter saw, the best tool ever made, power tools. That's like, that was my way of paying tribute to Mother's Day. Uh, if mom needs any wood cut, I'll do it for her, okay? But I got the saw, and we were going to put it together. My son William and I were putting it together yesterday along with this cool table that I got for it, and it mounts on it and everything, and we got it all together, and as Will helped me, we put it up and clamped it on this table, and we were ready, and I said, plug it in, and I couldn't wait to just grab that beefy handle and pull that trigger and feel that power. Well, he said, okay, and I pulled the trigger, and it just went click, and I thought, oh, no. I, I could kick myself because I, I saved $200 on the saw by buying it from a guy on Craigslist meeting him in an alley and getting it over, buying it at Home Depot, and I started questioning my judgment, but before I could get too depressed, William said, here, let me try it in a different outlet, and he plugged it in somewhere else, and that sound that I was longing to hear, and I could just feel the torque and the power, and then we started looking around the garage for a piece of wood to cut, (laughs) and it's like, who would know? You know, usually you're stumbling over old two-by-fours all the time. Could not find a piece of wood. Finally, William made a sacrifice of an old skateboard that he had. <laughs> it's probably Danny's skateboard. And we buzzed through that thing, and it was like, oh, man, that's power. Really appreciated it. It was a meaningful experience in my life. But, you know, all of life is really ultimately about power. Power is the ability to get things done. And most of what we do in life is designed in one way or another to find a way to leverage and utilize power to get things done that we want to have done. The world has ways of achieving that power. The world does it through controlling others, first by controlling information, and then utilizing that information in order to put influence on others so that they can help you to do what you want to do. But the way that God's power works is totally different than that. And here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul goes through that. Now, some of it's going to seem repetitive because when we're going through chapter 1, he makes a lot of these same points about the cross of Jesus Christ and and the power of God. But in chapter 1, he kind of lays it out theologically. But in chapter 2, he goes over it again and personalizes it and calls to their attention, the people in Corinth, remember when I first came to you. Remember how I ministered to you, what I said and how I said it and why I said it. And so as we look at these first five verses, we're going to see what was Paul's message. We're going to see what his method was. We're going to also see what his motivation was. Chapter 2, verse 1 says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, 
but in the power of God. Paul over and over again emphasizes, what I preached was the cross. My message was crucifixion. Now, in this day and age, that seems like it's not the wisest message to carry, crucifixion. We try to clean it up all that we can. We talk about the cross more as if it's a piece of jewelry or a decoration than for the cross to actually be an instrument of death. You've heard the supposedly true story of the, of the um, lady who was shopping in a gift shop and looking for a cross for a friend of hers, and she asked someone, what do you think? Do you think she'd like the plain cross, or do you think she would like the one with the little man on it? And that's a lot of times the concept of what we have of the cross. Now, every once, once in a while, someone tries to show us what the crucifixion was like. And I'm not going to spell it out in graphic terms for you today, but if any of you ever saw The Passion of the Christ, you saw man's attempt at showing the horror of crucifixion. Now, there are some people who thought it went too far. The, the world labeled the movie as being rated R. It was restricted. It could be damaging to someone to see that specificity of the torture of Jesus Christ. And I understand that. The truth is, though, as horrible as the passion of the Christ was, I don't even think it came close to showing how awful the crucifixion really was. See, according to Isaiah 52, Jesus was beaten so badly that when you looked at him, you couldn't even tell it was a person anymore. Now, again, not a popular thing to think about. Oh, every once in a while it's okay, maybe on Good Friday to focus on that. But Paul said, my message is crucifixion. This is what I am passionate about. This is what I am delivering. There in verse 2 where he says, I determined. The Greek word there is krenos. It's a word that is used as a legal term to say, I considered all the evidence and, and, and thought very carefully and focused my attention I drew the conclusion, here is what I am to do. He says, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul never got beyond the message of Jesus Christ and him crucified. And the further we get from it, the further we get away from God's power ultimately. Again, crucifixion a horrible way to die, designed to not only torture someone, but to completely humiliate them. As they hung there, bleeding and dying, gasping for air, nails in their hands and their feet after having been beaten to within an inch of their death, and there they are in front of the crowds as the crowds would laugh and mock at them, would look at them, they would be humiliated and disgraced. That was exactly what it was supposed to do. Crucifixion, well, it was excruciating. The word excruciating means from crucifixion. It was such a horrible death that they had to invent another word to explain the excruciating nature of what happened on the cross of Jesus Christ. A horrible, awful sight. And I don't blame people for not wanting to think about it. And I don't fault people for trying to clean it up and polish it up and make it into something really nice and harmless and friendly. And frankly, I understand why churches don't talk about it. 
And you may be thinking right now, please, Dave, don't give us any more details. Mother's Day. I brought my mother here. We thought we'd get a nice warm, you know, message about puppies or something. And <laughs> Sure. The truth is crucifixion's horribly ugly. It's a grotesque and humiliating reality. And yet, Paul said, believe me, I put a lot of thought into this. And that's what I decided you needed to hear was Jesus Christ and specifically him crucified. The world doesn't want to hear that. It really doesn't make sense to them. And like his disciples, when we see the horror of the sight, we want to turn away. We want to just go off and hide and go, I can't take this anymore. Watch from afar. Don't get too close. Don't let me see this in HD, that's for sure. But it's reality, and it's what Paul said was the message that he taught. A dying, tortured Savior. Now, again, we understand, we think, what it is for Jesus to die for our sins, we, you know, we talk about his atonement, the way that he paid for our sins by dying for them. But often, and it lets me know how little people understand about the cross, when people often say, okay, he had to die, I get that. But why did he have to be tortured? People have been very critical of the Catholic Church and by extension the movie The Passion of the Christ, which was done by a Catholic, because they're saying, oh, they're glorifying the torture. It wasn't the torture. He just had to die, that's all. And a lot of times our thinking is Jesus could have come, checked into a nice hotel room. They could have hooked him up and given him a lethal injection and he, with music softly playing in the background, hey, he could have calmly died for our sins. If that's the case, then why? How do you explain crucifixion? How do you explain the torture? How do you explain the fact that Isaiah in the 53rd chapter said he was wounded for our transgressions? He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. One stripe less. One holding back, one alleviating of the pain, even for Jesus to have taken a drink of something that would have deadened the pain, somehow, in some way, you and I would be hopeless if he hadn't taken all of that. He didn't just die for you. He suffered for you. And it's important for us to see that reality of the crucifixion, to understand what that was all about. Now, do I understand the atonement? substitution? Do I understand all that God did as he expiated our sins, as he purchased our redemption, as he set us free? All of those things that happened on the cross at the crucifixion, all I know is it's an ugly scene and yet there's something really important and good about it. And I can't explain it all, but Paul spent his life talking to people about the crucifixion about Jesus Christ on a cross because he realized there's something that that's important in that message that we dare not water it down, we dare not clean it up, we, bear, we dare not cut short all that Jesus did for us that day. Now, that's Paul's message. What kind of method did he use to deliver it? Methods are important. A lot of times the method communicates as much as the message itself. Well, Again, here in chapter 2, 
he tells us a couple of things that he didn't do when he delivered it. In verse 2, he said, when I came, or verse 1, when I came to you, I didn't come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. He then says in verse 4, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom. It's funny because if we were going to communicate power, we would come up with a brilliant explanation for what was going on. Give the world the information that will help them. And then we would present it in such a glamorous way that they couldn't help but be influenced and persuaded. That's how power works in the world. But if we were going to save mankind, would we bring their hero and have them beaten and stripped and disgraced and, and slaughtered? something there that our world is missing. And so Paul let them know right away, look, I didn't come to you with some slick message. I didn't impress you with the excellence of my wisdom. I didn't answer all those questions that you may have had. Not at all. I surprised you by the methods that I used. And he goes on to say, not only wasn't I slick and professional, not only wasn't I powerfully persuasive and, and obviously wise, but he said beyond that, I was with you in weakness, verse 3, in fear, the word phobos, and in much, an emphatic word, trembling. That word in the Greek for trembling is traumas. We get the word trauma from that word. He's saying, man, when I came to you, Contrary to being a great polished production that the world would come up with, there I was. I was shaking and upset. I was afraid of messing up. I was literally shaking when I presented this to you. Again, not very persuasive, not apparently very wise, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Now, when we talk about someone demonstrating God's power, we would expect that Paul was talking about there the miracles that God did, the things that, oh, I showed you God's power. There are kind of two categories of people that really emphasize God's power today, and they're both wrong. There, there's one group of people who say that what we need to do is have a miracle service, and when people see the power of God's miracles, then they will be drawn to hear the message and receive Christ. There's another group of people who would say, no, what you do is you need to just teach the Bible simply. And the fruit of presenting that message will show God's power as miracles happen in the wake of what you communicate. But the truth is, see, all of that is our human bias to think that power is something that's demonstrated in the miraculous. Listen, there isn't anything miraculous about the cross. It was a human being beaten to death, suffering and dying. The miracle of the cross is that he was willing to do it for you and for me. And the truth is, God's power, though demonstrated miraculously in some ways, hey, who can deny the power of God when you look at the wonders of creation? Who can look at how great, you know, 
this day is today, or go out in the desert at night and see the stars, and you go, wow, God's so powerful. Well, forget all that. God's creation was done, the Bible tells us, with his fingertips. But God's real strength and power was shown as his son hung there dying on the cross for us. When, as he was in excruciating pain, the power of God, the Bible tells us that that's where God bared his arms. That's where he flexed his muscles. And that's why, ultimately, to, to look for the power of God in anything other than the cross is to miss the real power of God. God works miracles, for that I'm thankful. But God's power is shown in the message of the crucifixion and what he did for us there. And so Paul understood that he needed to make sure that his method fit the message, that he didn't flower it up, fix it up, clean it up, polish it up, reduce it to an empty cross or just to a, to a little man on a cross. But he said, you've got to remember this. And so it begs the question, why? What's the motivation? And again, in order that, verse 5, your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul chose to communicate the way he did because the message of the cross demanded it. Couldn't really be communicated any other way. The reason he was in fear and trembling, Paul was scared to death that if he communicated this message in a way that was inappropriate, if he overdid it from a human wisdom standpoint, that they might miss that event that is the very power of God. To experience power in our lives, it's not experienced by just getting a lot of great information and communicating in a way that's influential and persuasive, and then we gather a lot of people together and we can get a lot done with all the power that's in this room. The only power that's in this room is a, is a God who died for you, who allowed himself to be beaten and, and nailed to a cross, and that's where power lies. And that's why Paul said, if you miss this power and substitute for it some sort of human production, some sort of show business ritual, you'll miss the power. Unfortunately, as we water down the message of the cross, as we rightfully understand that, oh, God, if I bring my neighbor to church for the first time and you're talking about blood and guts and horror, it's, that'll be terrible. Again, it's Mother's Day. Come on, lighten up. If we do that, they may like our message. They may like our church. They may like our donuts. But nothing that happens will make a difference in their life for eternity, and they will miss the power of God completely. And that's why we have, according to the polls, the overwhelming majority of the people in our country, 70 to 80 percent of them say that they are Christians, but most of them have no power in their lives. Most of them can't cut it even when the first elementary trials start to happen because the power is missing because what they've been fed is a feel-good gospel light that leaves out the core of the gospel, 
the crucifixion, and that through its message, the message is so attractive, it's so friendly to everyone, there isn't anything there that's going to gross anyone out, that's going to hurt anyone's feelings, and as a result, see, I look at myself, and I go, you know, they made me feel really good. You can, there's tons of Christian teaching that if you listen to it, it'll pep you up. It'll pump you up. It'll be like listening to a good motivational speaker. And a, a good way to sell that to people is to come up with all sorts of messages, messages about success, messages about how to handle your finances, how to raise your children, how to live a great life, how to be happy. People will flood to hear that kind of a message, but it's not going to change their life at all. Because the truth is, you know, Tony Robbins or some Christian version of Tony Robbins may pump you up and pep you up and make you feel better about yourself. Your self-esteem may swell, and you may go out of there feeling like, woo, I'm ready to face life. I'm great. The problem is, someday you have to go home. And you have to look yourself in the mirror. And as you're there with your own thoughts and your own feelings, you realize you're not so great, that you're not all that. And now it's like, oh, where are my tapes? How do I, you know, where's my notes? Where's my, I got to remind myself. I, I know I felt great there for a while. What the heck happened? And there you are. Or you find yourself in the deepest, darkest moments of life where all the fluff just doesn't help. You're facing the death of one of your loved ones. You're, you're, you're sick in a way that tortures you constantly. Things are happening in your life where you find yourself, maybe you're homeless and, and depressed and, and without hope, and for somebody to preach success to you, you're not stupid enough to buy it. You're going, look, you can say what you want, sounds good for you, works good for you as you drive away from church in your Rolls Royce, but hey, for me, right now I'm hurting deep, and, I, and for a long time I've talked myself into pep talks, but oh man, where do I go? Where's the power when I really need it? And the power when you really need it is when you look at the crucifixion, because whatever pain it is that you're suffering... He can relate to you. He could understand you. He suffered it for you, but you and I, we are sharing in the sufferings of Christ as well. I can sometimes connect with a super successful role model. Hey, there are times when they can pump me up and make me feel like, yes, the world is great. The world is wonderful. But then things aren't going my way. And in the times when I need God the most, he won't be there. Because I'm realizing life just flat out hurts. It stinks. It's it's excruciating. And when I discovered that about life and when I accept that about life, there I am lying there on the ground feeling like, what's my hope? And then I see the cross. And then I see the one who... Though he was God, he emptied himself of all of his divine rights and he gave himself for me, allowed himself to be tortured. Every one of those strikes to his back as they ripped his skin off and as he was beaten and spit upon, as he was humiliated and tortured and killed, it was all for me. And I look and I go, boy, he can sure understand. 
And if somehow what I am going through is to help me to understand what he has done for me, for me to connect with that, boy, is that powerful. You know, anyone can make you feel better if they just give you enough money for a little while. But that doesn't last. What we need, what you and I need is a message presented in a way that's not flowered up and phonied up. So that it's not like we listen to the message and we're all pumped up and then we go off by ourselves and we're like, oh man, that didn't work. I thought it worked. It had, you know, I was still feeling good when I took that donut after church. And by the time I got in my car, it's my life again. That's why the message has to be the cross. And that's why Paul was so afraid that he was shaking, concerned that he would present the cross in such a way that it sounded like another scam, it sounded like another pitch, it sounded like another motivating message, and one that people who are in pain could not connect with. I can tell you, it's not a pretty sight, your life isn't. That's the way it is. But in the ugliness of the crucifixion, The power of God is manifest. And if you've been through some beatings yourself, if you've been through some pain, dealt with chronic illness or loss and heartache or homelessness and hopelessness, and if you've endured that, 